Welcome to Dream Machine. My name is Aaron. And my name is Patricia. Hey, Patricia, how's it going? I'm doing good. Uh, I guess uh, we uh, were a little bit overdue for this discussion, huh? Yeah, we've been far overdue for this discussion. And uh, so let's just explain to everybody kind of what's going on. So um, we've been trying to get this done for a while, but the big problem is is that uh, you know me, we work very hard jobs pretty much and uh, so Patricia's over at uni and uh, I do my work as well and so it's been kind of hard to kind of find time to uh, kind of do this episode so uh, yeah so we do apologize in advance about uh, um, not being putting off this off for so long but uh, so and by the way uh, even though this is coming up on the Aaron Meta show uh, uh, podcast feed it doesn't mean I'm back yet I mean that, that I'm still on hiatus until January so this is kind of like a one-off special that uh, I said we'd be doing uh, throughout the uh, up until December, so um, so for those of you who do not know, uh, Dream Machine is the show that me and Patricia do, uh, where we review a DreamWorks film, and uh, we've been doing it all the way from uh, the first uh, DreamWorks animated film, uh, which was, I believe, the Prince of Egypt, was it? I can't remember. And, it was Anne's actually, so Anne's was first, and we went all the way up to this particular film that we're going to talk about today. So uh, um, yeah, so uh, Patricia, are we ready to uh, talk about the Yeti in the room? Yes, I am ready. Let's do this. Okay, then here we go. So finally, we come to Abominable. It is a computer animated film written and directed by animation veteran Jill Colton and co-directed by DreamWorks employee uh, Todd Wilderman. It was released on the 27th of September of 2019 in the USA. And uh, I have to say, while, I mean, I guess... To begin with, I mean, just as an overall, I mean, actually, before we even, even get into the movie, uh, for those of you who do not know, we, me and Patricia actually both saw this movie in theatres, and so, and also, we kind of got some similar trailers as well, so maybe it might be worth kind of touching on them before we get to the uh, the, the feature presentations. So, um, some of the common trailers that we got, so the first one was Onward, which is obviously a Pixar film, so, um, obviously still promoting the original trailer that came out on YouTube, and so, uh, nothing more to kind of like uh, you know suggest what uh, more else is going to kind of happen on here it's going to be still be kind of like this fantasy world which has kind of gone into modern times and uh, there seems to be kind of like this one character who believes that everything is kind of like either a quest or an adventure or things like that whilst uh, our other character who's going to be kind of reminds me of Linguini from uh, from Ratatouille uh, he's kind of more just kind of like going with the flow pretty much so uh, right right yeah so uh, not much else to kind of report on really it's still the same you can still watch it on youtube you can still watch it on twitter so like uh, that trailer's still out there but they're still repeating it in uh, cinemas which is kind of weird because we're not going to be seeing it until next year i believe so, That's right, uh, yeah. And not only that, but Soul is going to be coming out next year as well. Yeah. I, I don't know about Soul because, like, uh, I mean, I, we don't really have an idea of what that's going to be yet, but why do I get the feeling it's going to be, like, around kind of like Soul and jazz music? I don't uh, I mean, that could be a possibility because, I mean, we when we first heard about the concept of Soul, we thought it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be like Inside Out, but that, that could also be a possibility, like Soul as in, like, music, so absolutely yeah maybe it probably will be so uh, but anyway that's still going to be coming soon uh the next thing that the next trailer that me and patricia got in common was frozen 2 and uh, so that kind of showed off uh, a bit more i mean obviously i hadn't watched kind of like the the last trailer before obviously we get the release next month i believe uh frozen yeah, 2 is due uh, th- for. there was a there, there was a trailer that came out like about a f- month ago that revealed some more insights into the plot but it was just the original trailer that we saw since last year. Yeah. So, I mean, well, actually, I got the newer trailer, I believe, which is the one that's uh, where the uh, the troll kind of rock people are kind of saying, go, well, once we believed that uh, Elsa was too powerful, but now we don't know if she's going to be powerful enough for this new adventure. And so they have to go up to the north to uh, kind of... Uh, uh, take care of things over there, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go. But I mean, uh, for those of you who do not know who have listened to the Aaron Meta show, I did make a very bold prediction that I thought that this was going to do better than The Lion King. But you know, we're close to release, and I just feel like the buzz just isn't there at the minute. I feel like, I mean, obviously we're a bit way away from the actual, you know, obviously release of Frozen 2, but I don't know now. I just feel like that it's not, I just don't feel like it's in the air anymore, you know. I just feel like maybe. 
maybe this isn't going to do as good as I think we're going to do. Maybe it's probably going to do basically kind of maybe do like maybe four or five times its budget, maybe. Not actually kind of like break a billion, I think. Well, no. I just want to let you know that I have a prediction that Frozen 2 is going to be like one of the biggest hits of the year because um, 2019 has been a weak, weak year for animation. Yeah, but hasn't The Lion King also broken a billion? As well. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of hard to say because it's like a live action remake. Even though people say, "Oh, but it's animated with CGI, so that counts," and not to account for, but also we had um, Aladdin, and then we had Dumbo. So it's like, yeah. Well, I mean, really look, look, I mean, the thing about this, I don't think. Well, The Lion King, you know, all the characters are all CGI. I right, thought. Right. Like, so, so it is whether considered it's... to be like a animated movie, and it's the one that's made over a billion dollars. I think at this point, if we're not counting inflation, it has surpassed the '94 Lion King movie. I mean, like, cause, you know, if we're going to talk about Aladdin, we're going to talk about Dumbo. I mean, I mean, I hate to make this comparison, but it kind of reminds me more, kind of like Song of the South, where like it was a kind of a mixture of like live action and, and animation. Right, you know, right. It's like uh, so. It's like it kind, it kind of, that, it kind of fits into that kind of category, it, you know, minus the racism. But uh, you know, like <laughs> right. uh, yeah. But uh, you know, so for me, I mean, right now, I think if we had to be honest about you know the whole animation scene at the minute, I think I think we could technically say that the Lion King is probably going to be like the most, even though it's probably not technically you know fully animated. It's going to be probably like the in regards to kind of like where. Uh, what was needed to kind of make them put the movie together? I think if we say I would say that the Lion King's probably going to be like the most successful Disney film at least. You know, isn't that sad? By the way, that the movie that a lot of people regarded as like one of the worst live action Disney movies because it was just a copy paste of the original. And it's the one that made the most money this year. Yeah, it's like it's, I mean, it'll just be uh, it's, it'll basically just be a testament of time of how you know how 2019 kind of panned out for everybody. Kind of like you know, it's like uh, hey, we had all these. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, it wasn't there was Toy Story four as well, wasn't there? But yeah, uh, Toy Story four as well. And also the Lego movie, too. You know what? Um, let's save this for the end of the podcast to discuss about all the movies that came out in 2019. And just, like, I mean, this is the last year of the 2010s decade. Yeah. And this is, like, one of the weakest years that I can recall of. Because I remember last year and the year before had some really good animated movies. And yeah, but, but those we'll are keeping this in mind. Like, I mean, I'm probably going to to say this at the end of the year. Probably like you know we finally do the, like you know the end of the air show for the Iron Matter show because I mean for all we know like you know we well, we could be sitting in December of like December twenty fifth or twenty sixth or whatever it's going to be and kind of like saying oh wow you look how look how Frozen two performed like you know yeah, re- yeah. really went above and beyond. <laughs> Maybe we'll even discuss about the original Frozen and Frozen 2 to see how well it turns out. We'll see. Yeah, I think uh, so. I mean, in the meantime, like, uh, let's just wait and see. I mean, like, uh, who knows where we're going to be, we're going to end up at this time. But, uh, so, um, those were the two common trailers we kind of got. Um, funnily enough, uh, Patricia got the Playmobil movie trailer, which yes, uh, I did. Ca- came out in this country, but we never saw it. So, like, uh, or even heard of it, as far as I'm concerned. So, like, uh, that kind of like flew under the radar. And yeah. uh, also, it's interesting because I saw the date and you were asking me about like, oh, there's a Playmobil movie? When's that coming out? I was like, oh, it already came out for you guys in August. And in France, it already came out even before then. And you were like, what? Because for us in America, it's coming out in December. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, it's really strange. Like, because as far as we're concerned, like, uh, you know, um, we thought it already kind of like somewhat happened, I guess. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's... Uh, you know, very strange for uh, me and uh, very strange for Patricia. Just, I'm just going to turn you up, Patricia, just a little bit because I think you're a little bit quiet. I think in the minute, but uh, okay, hold on. I don't know if you. Oh, hang on a second. You, you, that was perfect. Uh, just okay. There. Cool. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, well, let's let's just cut that out. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. We're still uh, basically. I'm recording this from the Let's Play room because I'm lazy. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You have, to, you have to apologize, everybody, for the yeah, that's uh, fine, that's fine. technical technical difficulties that we've got for the many as, 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 Like, you know, that tends to happen a lot here. <laughs> well, hopefully by next year, that'll all be ironed out. So, uh, you yeah, know, like, uh, just because you don't see anything in the front of the house doesn't mean nothing's happening in the back of the house, okay? So it's like, True. Uh, all the True. junk's in the trunk, you know? So. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah, to put it in that way, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, anyway, Abominable. 
So uh, going back. Uh, to, well, actually, uh, let, let's. Uh, there are a few um, trailers that I did uh, receive. I received Trolls War Tour again, and then I received um, Arctic Dogs again, Spies of Disguise again. Oh and... yeah, we got Spies of Disguise as well. We didn't get Trolls World Tour, and we didn't get what was the other movie you said before? Um, Arctic Dogs. We didn't get that either. So basically, we. I mean, funny enough, like uh, we are supposed to get Trolls World Tour next year, but it's, there's been no trailer for it as far as I'm aware, as at least as of yet. So, I mean, like, they're, they're playing it up, up online, but they're not playing it in cinemas at the minute here in the UK. So, yeah. uh, that's that's interesting as far as, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, I guess we can talk about Trolls World Tour. I mean, I, I know we were really critical of Trolls, the original movie, but I don't know why, but for some strange reason, I'm still holding out for Trolls World Tour to be some kind of somewhat, you know, at least somewhat likable. In a way, because uh, I mean, the fact that he's going to focus on rock and metal, and you know, there's a possibility that we, you know, I'd be very surprised if Jack Black does not make a surprise appearance in this movie, given the fact that he's done other uh, DreamWorks productions. And uh, you know, if they get, you know, uh, Axl Rose from uh, Guns N' Roses, if they get, uh, you know, AC/DC, if they get Metallica, if they get, um, you know, if they get all the rock legends in there, you know, Judas Priest, all those people kind of get in there and uh, you know have some fun with it. Maybe you actually be kind of somewhat enjoyable to kind of like see like you know these guys kind of like you know bad guy it up in this in, yeah in yeah that'll be really interesting i mean you know seeing tenacious d you know performing hard rock uh you know as trolls i think that will actually make things a lot of fun yeah but uh, obviously they're gonna have to put in like you know those awful pixies and like you know all the other kind of like you know bad stuff as well and justin timberlake's obviously gonna take you know a, ma a major role in this too but i don't know like i just feel like i really hope that people will walk away from this movie he's like well at least the bad guys were fun you know yeah, at least like, I, I guess that we can hope that'll be the case yeah maybe like i'm trying to think uh, what, what other movies have we ever watched where the bad guys were basically the people we kind of like not rooted for but kind of like were the ones we found enjoyable i mean like uh, i mean i guess you can say jason voorhees i guess is probably like one because he's kind of like the guy in friday 13th and then there's uh maybe those witches from hocus pocus maybe but obviously yeah, they're yeah. Like the main which is and also freddy krueger who's also a lot of fun too yeah, he's a lot of fun too well, i mean that's the reason we got freddy versus jason so like you know because guys wanted to watch that fight but uh um so i mean like maybe you know there are movies out there where the bad guys are the most oh v Valificent from uh, Sleeping Beauty everyone you know, everyone likes everyone likes her uh, Maleficent I mean so. if we were to count for like every you know li uh, you know Disney movie like uh, you know Cruella de Vil and Jafar and Scar and Frollo and all those people I mean it's pretty much a given well, for a lot of people. how many people do you say like you know say oh hey I, I really want to see Frodo in his own movie you know like you know there's a reason why people like Maleficent there's people reason why people like Cruella de Vil like, you know, you'll, like, be, you'll be surprised, Aaron. You'll be very surprised. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've yet to people say, kind of say, oh, hey, I want to see a Frollo film. Or I want to see, a, like, you know, who's the bad guy out of Mulan? Like, you know, I want to see... Oh, a... um, are you talking about Sean Yu? Sean Yu, yeah. Like, I'm not seeing people, like, kind of cry out for a movie, like, you know, for him. And, you know, Mulan's getting a remake for crying out loud. But... That is true, yeah. Yeah, so, like, uh, I mean, again, that's the reason why I hope out for Charles Walter. I just hope there's going to be really cool villains, you know, there's going to be really cool villains in it because, you know, your rock and roll is evil and wants to take over the world. And when I say that, well, I sometimes... Like... You know, I, I, I hope that if they ever do this concept again, they would choose something other than rock and roll to be the villain because how many times have we seen this? Uh, maybe it's going to be dubstep next, you know. No, or, uh... <laughs> no, no, it's, it's going to be the insane clown posse. Like uh, that? No, no. That's going to be the directed DVD sequel, actually. So, like, uh, or maybe it's going to it, be. It's original, sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Charles Walter. Uh, I mean, I'm no. I know some people are going to be very skeptical about it, but I. I don't know why. I just feel like there's kind of this weirdness inside me that kind of holds out. Like maybe there might be something good about this. You know, this mm -hmm. this concept maybe. So, but you know, it's like one thing I will say is kind of confusing because when you have like a concept where rock and roll wants to take over the world, it's kind of like you know, what is this aimed at boomers? Like you know, it's like, uh, but that's just me. Um, yeah. And so then there was another. Oh yeah, there was uh, the pigeon movie. Uh, yeah, that. spies in disguise. Spies in disguise. So I mean, yeah, I don't think there's going to be much enjoyment out of this i don't think i think it's just gonna be no, basically it's not i mean i think this I, I i'm not sure if this is either the last um blue sky studios movie before the buyout or the first one i'll have to double check but yeah this does not look promising i mean we have like will smith and tom holland and it's essentially like a spy turning into a pigeon it's it, it yeah. looks dumb it, it, i think it's gonna be worse than hancock 
I think it's like it's it's kind of like it's not going to be as bad as After Earth and it's not going to be as bad as Wild Wild West, but I think it's going to be kind of like in between those kind of like that where the, you know in the Will Smith kind of like you know garbage bin of movies. It's kind of like it's going to be slightly better than those movies, but it's not going to be kind of like it's going to be underneath Hancock. Man, 2019 was a bad year for Will Smith. First the Aladdin remake, then Gemini Man, which pretty much nobody watched, and now this. And do you know what the worst part about this? Everyone rewarded him for his bad behavior. Aladdin is, is now his highest grossing film. Like, you know, like, uh, he's just like, stop awarding bad behavior of Will Smith. Like, you know, like, uh, we, I just, uh, I just, I don't know with you people, I swear. Yeah, I mean, this is the same disappointment that I feel that knowing that the Lion King remake is the one that's going to be the highest grossing animated movie this year. Yeah, it's just, it's like, you know, we were, we were all bad behavior in this, in, in, oh, yeah. in the, in the, in the wait, wait, I, I hope 2020 and throughout the rest of the decade is going to be better. I really hope so too, but uh, who knows? Um, anything else we need to cover with the trailers before we get into the feature presentation? Uh, no, I, that we're, we're all finished. Okay, here we go. Abominable. So yeah, I think that yes. just lasted just as long as those uh, trailers uh, before we actually got to the uh, main. Actually, I don't know if you do this. So do you get like twenty-five minutes of trailers and and, and advertisements before obviously you get into the into the movie? Oh, oh of course we do. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We get like trivia questions. We get like behind the scenes stories about an upcoming movie or a TV show, and then like. Um, advertisements for like upcoming uh, attractions or um, buildings that are being uh, made for our town, huh. and then eventually when we do get like the twenty-five minutes of the of the trailers, then we get like a little preview of hey, pick up some popcorn, pick up some uh, candy and Coca-Cola and stuff like that, and then the movie plays. So okay. Oh, and, and and also the please silence your cell phones thing. So yeah, yeah, pretty much. So okay then. So um, I should tell you what actually. My, my uh, shout out to uh, the to Light Cinema in uh, Stockport, by the way, because uh, when uh, we got when obviously when all that fin- all that finished, actually we actually got. Uh, one of the uh, guys actually come up on in front of the screen and say, "Oh, hey, welcome to the cinema, and uh, you know, uh, hope you enjoy yourself and stuff like that." So, like, uh, we got like uh, you know a real life person actually introducing the uh, the, the the movie. So, well, that's uh, very nice. Was, uh, yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty pleasant to uh, to have that. And uh, also, by the way, um, we're coming towards the end of the abominable you know month uh, pretty much, and so like eventually it's going to come out of cinema. But there's still a lot of people coming to watch it. Like, you know, yeah, like, I, I had like four families consisting of like parents and kids coming by to see it. And I I mean, I, you're right. Like it was like towards the end of the month. And I thought that maybe there was going to be like two, three people tops. But no, I mean, there was like a good amount of people there. Yeah. Keep this in mind, like, you know, we're reviewing this dur- still during, like, you know, the box office season, so we don't know what the official t- tally will be, but I'm sure we will announce it once it comes out. So, uh, yeah, yeah. As of the making of this podcast, from what I understand, it has made $144.6 million in the box office. And what was the budget to make it? $75 million, which actually sounds a lot like the budget that was used for the... Um, Captain Underpants movie. That is a low budget, considering that most of the DreamWorks movies that are, you know, like the more recent ones, they usually are like $140 million or $180 million or $200 million. But no, um, this one, as well as like... um, um, as mentioned, Captain Underpants and I think Peabody and Sherman, they've had $75 million budgets or $50 million budgets. So, yeah, they're pretty go- They're going pretty low for this one. Well, keep, keep this in mind, like, you know, the, the technology is starting to become cheaper and, like, also a lot of, like, what we see in Abominable, and I will talk about, like, the animation stuff like that as well, but I will give my reasons of why I think the budget's now coming low. But so anyway, shall we get into the story? And yeah, our first well, end. right before we do that, I want to get into some behind-the-scenes stories about this. So, sure. uh, the movie was written and directed by Jill Colton, whom some people may know who has worked on Pixar throughout its early run. She worked on Toy Story, Toy Story 2, A Bug's Life. She helped write the treatment for Monsters, Inc. And also, um, she was the director behind Sony Animation's first movie, Open Season. She was working on this movie. She first titled it Everest, and she basically had the idea about a girl and a yeti. And uh, after a while, she just left the project. She, I guess she had to do like either other things or there was some disagreement and then after a few years then she came back to the project and then she changed the title to abominable and this is the movie that came out of it and it's actually interesting because 
ever since last year, we've had a couple of movies that feature Yeti or at least like Abominable Snowmen. We had Smallfoot that came out last year. Then we had Missing Link. And now we have this movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in regards to uh, obviously her, you know, branching out and obviously going into uh, into DreamWorks. I mean, obviously, it's. Uh, I mean, it must be a pretty exciting, but also probably a pretty daunting experience, probably. You know, at least in my opinion, because you know, you're going, you know, you know, obviously you're coming out of an unfamiliar territory. You're going into, well, you're going into an unfamiliar tra- territory, sorry. And then you're obviously pitching this movie, and uh, you know, it's uh, gonna probably. You don't know how it's gonna work out and things like that. So, I mean, for for Jill. This is going to be obviously a very big thing for her. Obviously, going into going into this, so uh, whether it's going to pay off or not, I think uh, we're obviously going to go further into it. So here we go. Um, so right. the plot goes around the city of China, and uh, a Yeti escapes from this facility. And I've got to be honest with you, I really thought we're, at the very beginning. I, I looked at this and thought, "Oh my God, we're getting a Doom Eternal par- parody here." Like you know, it's gonna be like uh, it's gonna be like you know the Yeti walking through and like everyone's kind of like walk moving away because he's gonna come and go do something cool. But uh, no, it's uh, we're in view uh, in first person of the uh, of the Yeti going through the facility, and uh, so he gets to the point where he gets to the electric fence, and uh, then all of a sudden we see the uh, supernatural powers of the Yeti and what is he what he can do, and uh, he goes flying over the fence and smashes through it, and uh, then. Then obviously escapes into the city, which uh, I assume is uh, it is a city in China, but I don't think we actually said where it was. Um, yeah, it is. A, it is a city in China. Um, I believe it's Shanghai. Okay, because uh, I mean, here's the thing about this, and so I mean, I'll accept it's based in China, and but I don't know why. I just feel like you know, you look at the movie and you see that it's a nice, vibrant community. And uh, here's the thing about this: I'm sure a lot of people in China are probably going to give me a load of shit over this by me saying this, but I'm just going to go out with it because that's how I feel about it. Does it feel like China in this situation is a little bit over romanticized, a, l- a little mm. bit? Because... I mean, it, it almost kind of reminds me of um, San Tokyo from Big Hero 6. Yeah, he's like, it feels like, I don't know, like, it kind of feels like a, a more Western interpretation of what they th- of what, what, what people think of China. I don't know, like, because uh, I would be interested to see what uh, people from China actually would have made of this movie. In, in a way. I mean, don't forget that in, in addition to DreamWorks animating it, Pearl Studio, which is uh, DreamWorks China, as it was originally called, also worked on this movie, and they were the ones who did Kung Fu Panda 3. Right. So but, maybe a, I mean, there the, is some like Chinese influence, like maybe you know parts of Shanghai does look like this, like the buildings and the community and all that stuff. So maybe it is a possibility that there are parts of China that does look like that. It probably is, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't, but uh, I mean, you see, you hear all like all the negative things that are happening in China right now. You know, the Hong Kong protest, you know, what's happening to the Uyghur Muslims in the right, uh, right. In, 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 in the west of the country. It just, I don't know why, it's like watching this movie, knowing all of that's still going on, it kind of made me feel a bit uncomfortable. It almost felt, it, it almost felt like propaganda in a way. Like, that's you know, fair. Yeah, because like, uh, you know, um, I mean, I would really don't, I think it's been unfair to compare it to this, but uh, do you know, remember Squirrel and Hedgehog, you know, that North Korean kind of like cartoon like that's oh, I forgot all, about all, that all, movie. That ultra-violent ultra thing. Like, like, and you can see there, like, you can see that they're kind of pushing in, like, oh, hey, this is a wonderful utopia, and, like, the animals need to protect it, and uh, they have lots of food and things like that. When in North Korea, we know that's not the reality. Like, you know, it's like, in a, in a way, I kind of feel like I watched this movie, and, like, that might be some people's interpretation, or it might be some people's experience in China, but, you know, given that we watch the news and we know what's going on in certain areas, we know that's not everybody's experience right now. Mm-hmm. Like and so it feels a bit it feels a bit plastic when when you sure. when you look at it but that's just you know moving away from all that like we look at obviously this is a mo- this is a place in China where you know, obviously this yeti is obviously escaped and so I mean obviously we're introduced to um Yi we're introduced to Yi who uh, obviously avoids a mother and a gra- grandmother. Uh, and uh, works really hard, and uh, so and the reason for doing so is because, I mean, it's explained later in the movie that uh, she's trying to obviously get over her father's death, 
and uh, so it's uh, she basically kind of works to kind of like not you know, obviously to kind of move her away from kind of breathing, which you know is is a real thing for some people because when you know I've uh, heard stories of people who have lost you know their mothers or fathers or both parents or things like that, and the only way they can kind of kind of get away from the uh, or at least take their mind off the grief is basically to kind of uh, distract themselves as much as possible. And exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that I've heard a lot of um, articles. Uh, I mean, in interviews and art and read articles online about how people cope with. Um, grief by constantly working if they work and if they focus on other things and they can be able to push off all of the stress and all of the um uh tragedies that are going on at home so they just look for work and then they have goals that they can be able to accomplish so that they can be able to feel better about themselves to overcompensate the fact that they're suffering yeah and so i mean i, I give points for obviously trying to cover this subject but to me it, it almost feels kind of like i mean obviously for for kids obviously they're gonna learn something from kind of like the experience we go with our main protagonist but i mean for me like i caught on pretty quickly that this is basically what what's going on in this and so it's it was given that i could predict that was kind of what's going on it's kind of took my enjoyment a little bit away from the movie because i knew that's kind of what the direction that the character was kind of going in because obviously you know you and i patricia have watched dream dreamworks films pretty much the entire time and so they've kind of like they sort of have a bit of a formula of like uh, here's this character this is kind of like they're laying out what's going on with this character and you can kind of see where they're going you know, yeah, and Pixar, there, so. you know, sometimes does this as well, but at least it's clever enough to not let you know of everything that's going on, and it reveals bit by bit on what the plot and the um, dr drama is, and then eventually, when it's just the right moment, that's when you feel the most impact, like with Inside Out, for example. Yeah, but it didn't feel all that much Pixar-y, kind of like in that way. If anything, that kind of like, it kind of reminded me of uh, that Dwayne Johnson film, San Andreas, you know, the one where he's trying to rescue everyone from the earthquake, and he's running around trying to like, you know, and he only punches one guy, which is really disappointing for a Dwayne Johnson movie. But, uh, I mean, in regards to that, I remember there was also this uh, story arc about him and his wife getting over the death of their daughter and, like, the fact that they've never talked it through. And towards, like, you know, the, the end of the second act, they finally, you know, have that conversation. And that's kind of feel like how this kind of played out. It played out the same way as San Andreas. And, uh, you know, it, that was one of the reasons... That's one of the things that kind of took away my enjoyment of that of that particular movie is because, you know, you know that tension is there and you know they're going to have to talk it out and eventually that they will do and then they'll go off and save the day. You know, right, and that's kind right. of what happened in this. You know, uh, Yi, you know, obviously talks out with um, uh, with one of the other characters. We like, is it Peng? I think it is. Yeah, it's, it? it's Peng. Yeah, Cause it talks it out with Peng uh, about how she feels about her father, and uh, obviously that's after you know the the violin gets smashed. You know, the one that uh, she she cherishes and obviously gets repaired. Oh wait, oh wait, the... I, I, it's Jin. Jin. Because oh, Peng Jin. Is, sorry, yeah. Peng's the Peng's yeah, the basketball Peng, kid, Peng, isn't it? You know what? Yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna be saying this uh, a couple of times throughout the discussion of this episode of dream machine but this movie very similar to how um when we saw turbo it gave us ratatouille vibes this movie gave me up vibes really yes think about it so uh we essentially have a plot where an old man has been chasing around this creature for so long because he was ostracized and ridiculed by all of his peers and he works so hard throughout his entire life so he can be able to capture this creature and prove it to everyone that he did all this and he has this massive collection of everything that he captured of all these rare and exotic species that he's collected over the years and then we have um a little you know chubby kid who's like really optimistic and he's not really good at much of anything but yet at the same time he's just so cheerful about things that it almost makes you want to puke rainbows and then you have like this you know magical and beautiful world in the jungle that they travel around into it, it reminded me of up i mean you essentially have peng as russell and um mr burnish is essentially charles Muntz. oh my god so basically we're talking about up again Okay, welcome to Pix Mix. My name is Aaron. And my name is Patricia. Hey, and Patricia. How's it going? In this episode, and, uh, okay, good night, everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, basically, we're talking, nearly talking about the same movie again, pretty much. But, uh, obviously, with some obvious differences 
in this. Obviously. And some obvious differences in this, yeah. But, I don't know, like, we can't really say that uh, the, you know, the old guy is the same as Charles Mons, because obviously we find out later on, obviously, there's a kind of, I don't know, like, there's kind of a bit of a flip between who the bad guy is in this, and uh, I don't know if this is clever or not, to be quite honest with you, because obviously you have Dr. Zara kind of, like, you know, faking that she's a British kind of like you know, and she's some kind of like uh, that. That wasn't actually established in this. Like, what was her what was her motivation for like you know killing the the the, I the have Yeti? No idea. Like seriously, I don't have an I don't even have a clue on why this person decided to switch sides for between like a a good British woman alongside with this little rare mouse on her shoulder and saying like, oh, but Mister Burnish, we need to protect uh, this. You need to protect the the exalted creatures because we need to um you know let everybody know that they exist and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden she gets rid of the accent and the mouse and she's like, you know. Uh, we're gonna capture this yeti dead or alive most likely dead we're gonna you know turn on mr burnish behind his back it's like where did this come from um yeah is, I'm just... is this supposed to be like um a clever Mayor, twist uh, yeah Waybell from you know zootopia in which you know she starts off really nicely but then she you know does a complete 180 and then she decides to become the ruler just so that she can be able to kick off the predators and become the leaders of the prey saying like hey you know we're the good ones i have no idea yeah it just it just, it just felt unnatural to me like uh, all of a sudden they just kind of like throw that in there and uh, all of a sudden like you know the guy we believed was supposed to be the bad guy is all of a sudden like you know he is just kind of like um i think they kind of made him out to kind of like say oh well, he's been so sheltered his entire life and he's been like you know he's been in the city and he's been trying to prove that this yeti is is out there and uh, so he's becoming old and better and things like that and then finally when he you know, goes out into the open, he's kind of like out of his shell uh, a little bit. You know I what? I, I, I think I this is know. DreamWorks' attempt of you know trying to subvert the bad guy because Disney has done it for the past ten years. They did it for Frozen. They did it for Zootopia. And they were like, hey, you know, that's a good idea. You know, kind of like trick the audience and thinking that, oh, this person is the bad guy. But no, all of a sudden, this person is the bad guy. So let's do that, even though that they kind of did it like 10 years too late. Oh, my God. So basically, well, if Zootopia was the virtual boy, they, you know, Abominable is the R-Zone. Basically, oh, like, uh, that, that's a, I don't. I think that's a bit of a cruel analogy to basically put on this. But uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, it just didn't feel. It didn't really. It wasn't all that. It was just kind of weird. More than it was impactful. It's kind of like, oh my god, like, uh, okay, we're we're going this right now. Like, uh, I would have accepted like the old guy being the, uh, you know, the being the being the being the massive villain in all of this. Like, you, yeah, he's a, he's an intimidating little bastard, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like uh, this, uh, this. That I would accept that. More than, you know, like, this uh, really weird twist. Like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I was expecting, like, the Dr. Zara to, like, kind of, like, be, like, uh, you know, um, uh, finally she'll turn on him and, like, you know, try and help out the kids, you know, to rescue the Yeti and maybe, like, go into business for herself, like, right afterwards. Like, you know, for all I know, it's like, you know, Dr. Zara, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, oh, hey, I'll capture this, um, you know, this this thing's there. Like, what, are you suddenly working for Umbrella Corporation? You want to turn into, like, a giant zombie or something? It's like, you know, like, <laughs> come, come on. Come on. Like, you know, I, I was probably expecting that, maybe, you know, given the such a weird twist. Like, I just kind of, like, opened my uh, brain. I don't know, like, I don't like things that kind of, like, maybe pry my brain open a little bit and kind of think, like, oh, even the most stupidest thing now can probably be possible. Like, you know, I, yeah. I like to think there's some kind of, like, some kind of, like, expectation of, cont some, some kind of expectation containment within my movie. You know, like uh, that's just that's just how I roll. But the fact that you kind of like then bring things out right out of right out of uh, you know right out there, and then all of a sudden kind of made me feel like oh well anything's possible in this world. It's like you know I don't know why I just don't feel like that's good storytelling for some strange reason. Like you yeah. know it's like it just kind of like I don't know it just it again was weird. Like I I guess I give some point for like you know trying to be different. I guess, but uh, yeah, it just didn't just didn't brush with me all that much, really. Yeah, and so, so let's talk about let's talk about Yi's friends for a second. So we have Peng and we have Jin. So Peng, as mentioned before, he kind of reminds me of Russell, except that instead of being an optimistic Boy Scout who can you know who's not very good at um, you know living off of the wilderness, we have him you know loving basketball and wanting to play with uh, his friends, but they're always so busy. But he has this bit of optimism, and um, that's all his character is. He's just the optimistic boy. And then we have Jin, who's like this you know, oh, here's the millennial, 
you know, cliche. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take a bunch of selfies. I'm dating every girl left and right. Look at my cool shoes. I'm going to post this on Instagram because I like uh, being popular online. Lol. Uh, here's the thing if I make this unrealistic. I'm pretty sure Instagram is banned in China. I'm pretty sure they're not. I, mean, I, I don't know why. It's like, uh, let me just let me just double check this while you. Uh, yeah, say. yeah. So, so throughout the movie, we have, um, you know, they've been friends for a very long time. It's even said uh, later on in the movie that Jin and Yi have been close friends, and that Jin was always protecting her because he would always get in. You know, she would always get into trouble, and that. You know, they kind of have like a bit of a friendship with each other, but because they've gone their separate ways with, you know, Jin being the ladies man and looking good and getting all the cool new outfits. We have Yi working really hard to make money so that she can be able to travel to all the places her father's been. And she ends up with walking the dog and throwing fish heads and bones in the trash. And um, we even have that one scene in which, you know, while she's walking right across the sidewalk with Jin and all these like cool popular girls they're like constantly making fun of her because she stunk of fish and we have um kind of yeah, actually, I'm, I'm sorry. looking embarrassed sorry, sorry. i'm just looking at this now uh, instagram is actually banned in china so uh where, i mean it's where... not like an instagram website it's more like you know so, so, so social media yeah, so, social media website i think they have like uh what you call it like like uh, probably like you know they have weibo or something like that i think is what it's yeah called. yeah Exactly. Yeah, there's like a lot of equivalence to uh, a social media website in Asia compared to America. Like how um, in Japan they have Nico Nico Doga, while us in America have YouTube. Mm -hmm. So uh, as far as we're concerned, like yeah, like uh, that's uh, that's uh, yeah, basically it's uh, um, it's, uh, it's like some it's a it's a Nick equivalent. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, so going back to um, obviously our story. So um, obviously this Yeti ends up on Yi's roof, and so then that's uh, uh, when she says, "Oh, hey, I'm, I'm gonna," you know, she's obviously scared at it first, but then uh, tries to defend herself with like a her, her bow from her from a violin, which is kind of like sitting there, like, uh, "Yeah, that's not gonna defend you from anything, as far as I'm concerned, sweetheart." But I guess she probably doesn't work thinking this way through. But, I mean, of course uh, not. I mean, why would you feel like if a giant creature just landed on your roof and, and you have nothing to, like, defend you? What would you do? Yeah. Uh, actually, enough, like, uh, kind of like, uh, I mean, you can obviously see Yi is kind of somewhat, like, some kind of workaholic at this point because, obviously, now she also knows kind of, like, first aid because when she sees that the uh, the Yeti is injured, obviously, the first thing she does is go into the pharmacy and, you know, maybe pretty much, like, brings a, a giant version of, like, a uh, of bandages and, obviously, you know, uh, you know, of uh, um, other stuff as well to kind of, like, you know, do first aid. So she she has some kind of like uh, first aid training from the looks of it. Yeah, probably, she from, does. probably from working one of her other jobs. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So like, uh, so she obviously. What do you think of the bond between Yi and our obviously the Everest? You know the uh, the Yeti character. I mean, like, I mean, uh, it's very sweet in some points, but it's nowhere near as loving and impactful as Hiccup and um, Toothless. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, so it, to me, it's like uh, it's interesting when obviously she gets the uh, when he repairs the violin and then obviously she starts using it and all of a sudden like he does all this magical stuff. And uh, but besides that, like uh, it's the only kind of like um, really kind of like special bond they kind of I guess probably have with one another. Yeah, and that's the only point. special bond that there is because at least with Hiccup and Toothless, Hiccup was the one responsible for, you know, knocking down Toothless's wing and he was the last of his kind. So he was alone in the world and Hiccup felt alone in the world because he was the outsider of his tribe. And so they had this bond with one another because they were both alone and they both um, had practically no one to befriend with. And so um, over time, they were able to find each other's strengths because of each other and that was what made their relationship so impactful mm -hmm. so i mean i mean it's uh, i mean obviously we're not going to get around the things like oh hey maybe you should have kept it as a pet or like you know obviously you know trained it as like you know to fight or something like that obviously it's like you know uh, you know i know japan's got pokemon but china doesn't need that but uh, i mean uh, <laughs> in regards to uh, i mean i guess they did what they could with it i think without it obviously trying to kind of copy from other things well, at least not too much and so I think uh, it's, it's really hard to have a, a, a permanent bond because shortly afterwards, when she sees that uh, the the Yeti is in her roof, that's when we have the helicopters looking for the Yeti and trying to capture it. And then she realizes, oh, they're 
going around looking for this creature. And so that's when she hides it. And then she thinks of an idea about like, you know, what to do or getting to know it. And then there's a billboard outside that says Everest in it. And do you think at that point, do you think the movie kind of overexposed itself a little bit? Like, you know, you looked at that scene and you thought, oh, wow, this looks like it should be like at the end of the movie. Like, you know, like, uh, there's, so there's like, oh, it's this giant chase scene through the city. And uh, like, uh, like, oh, look at all the places that they're going, stuff like that. And look at all the chasing they have to do through the city. It always felt like, kind of like, oh well, we're like, we're only like twenty minutes in, and all of a sudden, like, you know, we're 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 upping up the action to this point a little bit. And uh, and I get like uh, it was going to get even more up the ante, like you know, obviously they end up in the Gobi Desert at one point, and they end up in other places in China as well. And uh, yeah. but uh, I mean, to me, like uh, all of a sudden we got to that point, and I thought, oh wow. Like, uh, I don't know why, like, uh, I don't know, I just don't feel, I don't like the fact that they went all, like, all the way around China, uh, for, for me. I felt like that was just a bit, like, uh, a bit too crazy for me. Like, it kind of reminds me, like, again, like, I know I've made this up loads and loads of times, I know, Patricia, you've never seen it, but, uh, uh Dr. Rabbit's World Tour, for, like, that Colgate commercial where they, like, you know, you know, he goes to, like, uh, you know, uh, Europe and Australia and things like that, like, you know, with, you know, they cut scenes you know, very quickly. It just kind of felt a bit strange, kind of like going all the way around China and within like a an hour and twenty seven minutes. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it just didn't feel like all that all, all that natural to me. And it would it would have felt more it would have felt more comfortable, I think, if they kind of like tried to keep it within within the city. Like you know, like trying to like go for like all the hey, you know, this is what if you had this situation and all and you were in this kind of like enclosed space, you know, this is what you'd have to do, you know, to obviously you know, this is the challenges that you would face. But no, like uh, I felt like it took. I, I just felt like it was too. Un- I, I know we're talking about Yeti and things like that, but I just felt like it was just. Uh, it felt a bit weird, kind of like uh, just going here, there, and everywhere. And uh, I would have, like, felt a bit more, kind of, I don't know why, I just felt like it would have been better if, like, the whole thing was kind of, like, the whole story just took place within the city in China rather than just kind of, like, going all around China, you know? Like, yeah, uh, I guess maybe because um, we are familiar with this like one location, we don't get a chance to appreciate it. No, actually, and some of that as well. Like uh, other, other, well, other DreamWorks movies do that as well. Like because uh, you know uh, Shrek and Donkey going on their whirlwind adventures. You know, obviously they end up in different places and far, far in, like in you know in the fairy tale land. Like, yeah, like, but that know, wasn't that was until Shrek two. With the first Shrek, we were able well, no, to even, even go in, around with uh, the even swamp the, and Duloc and yeah. the the castle and all that stuff. But it was still all uh, like in one you know like like one particular location, at least with China. I mean, China's a huge, huge country. And then they went all the way to um, Nepal, where the Mount Everest is. So they had to travel, like, across at least a few countries for that. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know why. I just felt like... Uh, I, I just felt like other other kind of, like, even in ants. Like, yeah, okay, then you could argue it was all done in, like, in Central Park or wherever it, wherever it was based. But at least, at least you know... Ants, yeah. Remember, Ants was in New York. Yeah, Ants was in New York, yeah. But at least it felt like uh, there was, like, different areas to it like there was insectopia there was like going through obviously the grass and there's obviously like uh, you know go, going towards the tr- you know going towards the uh, the termite nest and things like that like, at least all the all the different parts of that of that park felt like different parts of the world you know like uh, it just kind of felt like you know given the fact that we've been through dream machine uh, so many times and we've kind of been through a lot of these other stories like uh, it just kind of felt like another kind of like you know buddies going on an adventure kind of like going down different different places like this is a this felt like a story we'd already seen before I mean know. that's one of the critiques that I did see when this movie came out that they just felt it was just too safe and it just felt really samey compared to the stuff that DreamWorks has done before yeah like uh, I would have liked it just kind of contained it within the city because the city seemed big enough to have like a massive adventure in it to me yeah like uh, and like when you saw how like when the when the yeti went into the city, you saw how big it was. It was kind of like, oh wow, what uh, what crazy adventures are they gonna have in the, in here? And you know, by the time we got to like you know twenty five minutes, we were already out of it. It kind of felt mm-hmm. like really like you know, there's not more you could have done. Like uh, I don't know. I- all right. Well, let's let's continue. So, 
she discovers that this creature is originally from Mount Everest, and so she decides to call him Everest. I guess that's a little clever tie-in to not only the fact that that is where the creature is from, but also that was the original title of the movie. It was called Everest before it was changed to Abominable. And so then she decides to, um, you know, find a way to take uh, Everest over to uh, the Himalayas and then eventually to Mount Everest. And then she uh, has to do it really quickly because that's when um, the... Uh, helicopters and the police force and all of the people from the institution are looking for the Yeti and trying to capture it and bring it back. And then she comes up with, um, you know, this idea about like, hey, maybe we should um, find a way to take you back. And then there's this huge chasing that's going on where, um, you know, he grabs her and they run around all over the city and then they ended up in the docks. And then finally she tells him to go to the docks and take go to this sh uh, ship that'll take you over to this part in China and go from there. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously, we, obviously we've, we've, we're kind of like going over all ground there a little bit. But, uh, I mean, like, because we already kind of got, uh, got, got out of the city and done all that. But, uh, I mean, uh, the fact that, you know, obviously they go into this and then we find that they have, like, this kind of weird thing for soda. All of a sudden, like in the yeah, yeah, the soda, the yeah. soda joke, yeah. Like, uh, Peng was mentioning about like, oh, we don't drink soda in my house, and then he starts drinking, it, and then he goes like incredibly wild. It kind of reminds me of that scene in uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, in which Mac uh, is told by his mom to not eat chocolate, and so when he starts eating it, he goes like completely wild and out of control, and he even loses his clothes at the end of the episode. Hmm. So, like, uh, I mean, there's other. I mean, sure, there's been other things where. Uh, people are like, you know, drank, well, mind you, there was that, there was that thing in, uh, whatchamacallit, in, uh, uh, what was that thing with, uh, uh, um, we had RJ and had that squirrel and it, what's it called? Uh, oh, over, yeah, over oh, the yeah, the, the, the cheese, uh, uh over puffs, the, right? yeah, over the hedge, yeah, like, yeah, there was yeah, all that stuff as well, puffs. yeah, all the cheese puffs, but, uh, I mean, so, uh, yeah, all that, that, of that felt kind of a bit borrowed from all of that, too. And uh, so, and then we got this really weird scene where uh, Everest decides to use his magic to make these huge blueberries, and uh, I don't know why he grew them to the degree that he grew them to, but uh, that was never really fully explained. I mean, obviously they said that. Uh, I mean, I don't know when did they say that he was a kid? I mean, that was. Uh, I, I think it, I think it was like um like during that scene, like after they're done cleaning themselves up, and they um you know, settle in for the night. And then they were saying like, oh, maybe he's a child because they were seeing Peng acting really crazy. And then they, you know, we saw uh, uh, Everest acting the same way. And then Yi was like, oh, maybe he's a kid. Maybe he's, you know, very similar to Peng's age. And then Jin was like, are you crazy? This thing is gigantic. It can't be. And then that's when he starts like acting a little bit off. And then that's when Yi said, yeah, he's a kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously we have that crazy scene, and uh, obviously they uh, fall, and they obviously, this is the thing about this, I don't like uh, this thing where, you know you have kids, like, who go on these adventures, and then they just kind of like, after, when it gets to night, they just kind of like, uh, fall asleep on the floor, or something like that, it's like, you know, like, does none of them ever thought, like, you know, like, bringing a tent, or bringing, like, a sleeping bag, or anything like that? I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, like, it was very last minute, like, we saw Yi, like, you know, taking, um, uh, uh, you know, Everest over to the docks, and then, you know, then she was like, uh, maybe I should go with him, and then she runs by, and then she jumps off, and then the boys actually join them at the very last minute, so they had no idea that they were going to be doing this either. Yeah, like, you know, like, wouldn't you think, like, when they've got there, like, you know, they would say, oh, hey, we, maybe we should buy some camping, maybe we should go find a, sh a store that has, like, camping gear and stuff like that. And like, uh, maybe that could even be like one of the stops is like, you know, but you know, like the, uh, you know, the UAC or whatever. I mean, you know what, I, oh, this corporation that's chasing after this Yeti, I'm just going to call them like every other corporation that uh, like, uh, I can't remember who that is. It's called Burnish, was it called Burnish Industries or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Kaiva Corp, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> um, is chasing after them. And so, uh, yeah, the, um, uh, obviously, well, that could be one of the places where they could, like, you know, stop by the store and, like, said, oh, hey, we hear some kids purchasing some camping gear here. Where did they go? And, like, that could be one, one of the scenes. And, like, they could have been like, oh, hey, you know, so, uh, but uh, that's just me. Um, so then, eventually, we get, I mean, obviously, it's not the first scene that we get, but obviously, we get some of the scenes where she plays a violin. And uh, I gotta be honest with you, everybody, but is it just me or did the violin scenes didn't feel all that natural? 
when you heard them because I could in the theater when I was listening to it I could kind of like hear like the reverberations of like the um of the room like they played the violin in and it kind of like it like you know like in Fantastic Mr Fox for example like you know they they when they fill when they recorded all the voice acting scenes they actually recorded it in the in like the places that sounded like what they would be like if they were in the tree or if they're out in the country and things like yeah, that that's, that's exactly yeah. what they did yeah that, 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 most of the places that they went to they went outside to do most of their recording like i mean most of the places they did was like at a farm because they wanted to capture the authenticity of the audio exactly like i mean you couldn't do the same thing i mean that's groundbreaking you couldn't do exactly the same thing here like you know you couldn't have had somebody like playing the violin like you know in front of like either like a, a stone statue or things like that just kind of like make it kind of feel all that thing to me like when the when the violin scenes they were like they were i mean okay but you can kind of like hear like the um the, the recording studio like the the the, the wall vibrations kind of like in in there if you listen very closely so in a way it kind of felt it take took away a little bit from the uh, from the from the natural the fact that you thought you saw, oh, hey, it's uh, someone playing a violin outside, you know, or mm-hmm. someone playing on a rooftop. You can kind of like, yeah, it didn't feel all that natural. Whether they didn't have a chance to, like, you know, record it again, I don't know. And they only had, like, only a couple of takes they could work with, then fine. And maybe they could only get, like, the violinist to kind of play in a, in a particular theater or, like, in a particular place. I don't know. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, uh, it just, it didn't feel all that natural to me when I was listening to it. And it kind of took me a bit out of the scene a little bit. And, That's uh, fair enough. Maybe I'm being overly critical. Maybe some people did get some some something out of it, but for me, like it didn't sound all that great, uh, to be honest with you. So like, uh, yeah, but I can understand where they were trying to go with it, to be honest. Right, right. So. And uh, so obviously we get those scenes, and then we get the going around all the places in China, and uh, so they go on the whole uh, whole thing, and so. Um, uh, you know, they, uh, so, um, Trinity Industries is obviously still after them, and so, uh, they, um, uh, gonna keep doing that, and, uh, so... Yeah, and basically there's this one scene in which um, they uh, captured Jin, and they interrogated him to find out where they were going, and... And he reveals to them, and then that's when he overheard the plan of that they were going to capture and kill the Yeti, and then they were going to kill the kids as well. And so he has to run over and warn them right before, um, you know, the deed is done. And so that's when they met over at the uh, Himalayas. They go over to this town, and that's when they find him, and they go on this boat, and then they go through this uh, river, and then afterwards they uh, ride in some flowers and um yeah it's supposed to be like this really crazy chase scene that's going on uh we even have that little scene in which when they have the giant um truck uh turn into a boat while they were chasing after them and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the convy from the wild thornberries and also uh that's when uh you know we saw Jin in a few scenes where you know his shoes are getting even more dirty where he sells his cell phones so that he can be able to get the robe uh, the, the 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 boat and also um we have that scene once again with um uh him and Yi trying to connect with one another especially when the violin breaks and so there is a bit of character building that is going on where the friendship is getting even closer the closer they get over to uh Mount Everest and we even have this really nice scene over at the uh Yellow River where the koi fish is jumping upstream where it's supposed to be a representation about like um, you know, people who are going through problems are going through high obstacles so that they can be able to accomplish their goal, which is true, by the way. That is a, that is a legend in uh, China where you have the koi fish who goes in through many obstacles and jumps up the highest um, waterfall and then transforms into a dragon, which where they got the inspiration for Magikarp and Gyarados in Pokemon. Yeah. Well, let's just hope this movie isn't a fish out of water, but uh, let's... Uh, ah. you, you saw that coming, come on. Yeah, okay, uh, fine. Yeah, okay, so um, we have those scenes, and uh, then obviously we get to the point where they've got, they've got their, they get to the bridge, which is gonna, obviously going to take them over to, uh, to Everest. And uh, so, um, I mean, that, like, obviously it was going to be, oh yeah, they're going to get into the middle of the bridge and then they're going to get captured or something like that. I knew something like that was going to happen. And uh, then they uh, get to the point where, obviously, Dr. Zara, like, you know, darts the, uh, the, uh, darts Burnish and then obviously takes control of everything and obviously gets the, uh, uh, that and then obviously uh, there's the the darker side where I mean obviously we knew she was going to kill the kids at some point but and, uh, so I, I guess like uh, her shoving Yi off the side of the bridge isn't too surprising 
I guess, but uh, I mean, like it's. Uh, I don't know. I guess. I guess I kind of expected that. I would have liked to. I mean, here's the thing about this. I would have liked it where if they kind of kept that a bit quiet, and then I think more. I think the shock of Doctor Zara throwing or at least pushing Yi off the bridge would have been like somewhat more shocking. I guess, yeah. but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the maybe the maybe uh, maybe the censor censor board probably told them to say, hey, you can't do that or something like that. I don't know. You know, like, yeah, uh, I can see why they say why you say they 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 played this too safe, like because you know like uh, they kind of announced kind of some of the stuff that was going to happen long before it was you know gonna gonna happen. So like it was uh, again. Yeah, it's, like, again, like they it's, already they already showed it already. Like if they would have revealed it, like um, oh in the last minute where you know um, maybe we have a scene in which. Uh, when Jin was overhearing Dr. Zara talking to her main henchman saying like, you know, what are we going to do with these kids? And then Jin should be like, um, oh, here's what we're going to do. And then maybe, um, you know, he tries to uh, escape and then he gets caught. Or maybe when after he leaves, that's when they reveal, uh, oh, so what are we going to do with these kids? And then she'll say, I'll think of a way. And then it cuts off into another scene. Yeah, maybe maybe they should have gone in that thing. I don't know. But yeah. uh, so um, obviously the kids get ca- the rest of the kids get captured, and uh, we think Yi's you know well obviously Yi's not going to be dead. But you know what? I was thinking it was going to be like uh, you know Yi would like uh, get knocked off the bridge, and then she would like maybe like find like the other Yetis maybe, and they're going to save them, and then obviously then they're going like, to mount this kind of big rescue to kind of get the right the uh, the you know they get Everest back maybe. But no, she. Right. Uh, Somehow grabs onto a rope, even though we never see any rope underneath her. So like, uh, and also about that as well. She looks like she teleports, like from like one side of like from like this the end of the bridge to the middle of the bridge somehow. Like how mm. how the hell does that happen? Like I uh, have no idea. There, there's a continuity error there, at least. Or at least there's like a scene missing from that bit, at least. So like, mm-hmm. uh, I I really want to see why how on earth she ended up from one side of the bridge all the way to the middle. I don't I have no idea. But uh, so she grabs a she grabs a violin, plays a tune, obviously rakes up the Yeti, and then he breaks out. And so that's uh, that. Somewhat, I wasn't expecting too much, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know how she learned to do that though. That's a, that's another thing as well. I mean, like, I guess maybe like throughout the early part of the movie where she finds out when the violin is magical when she plays it, she kind of like uses a connection between her and Everest where she played the violin and then when Everest wakes up, he heard the violin and so he decides to give her some power and that's how she was able to do it. Yeah. So obviously that's not going to stop Data Dine as they uh, decide to uh, get um, the um, they get all the squad ready to try and. Uh, Get her out, but and then she obviously reverses the car and uh, tries to run over the Yeti, and uh, then does so. But uh, she ends up, uh, you know, causing an avalanche, and then she gets shoved off, and somehow everyone else does not get shoved off, shoved off either, which is kind of strange. And uh, then, um, yeah, the uh, uh, Everest seems to survive, and in a comical way. But uh, I don't know; it's, it's kind of hard to kind of like I don't know why. Like, uh, to this point in the movie, like, uh, it, it felt, I don't know why, it just kind of felt like a lot, I was also kind of, like, uh, engaging with, like, I was looking around in the theatre at the audience as well. I mean, towards, like, you know, the beginning of the final third and the ending of the second act, didn't you get a feeling that some people were kind of, like, getting getting a bit bored of the movie? I and think you know, so, yeah. Yeah, because like some of the kids were already like kind of like wandering around the uh, the the the, the, uh, the cinema. Actually, I tell you what, uh, actually, I forgot to mention this. Uh, uh, dur- I mean, this kind of sounds a bit sad, but you know, during the scene where Yi is kind of like spilling out about how she misses how she depressed she is without her dad, one family during that scene went home. Really? Yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, which is kind of sad in a way because, like, you know, some, some people will interpret that as, like, saying, oh, no, we shouldn't kind of, like, tell these stories in these films because people don't want to see that. And it's kind of like, no, when you tell it really badly, like, the way that Abominable has done, then, of course, nobody's going to be interested in this. They're only going to be interested in, like, the main story of, like, you know, getting the cute little Everest thing home. You know, like yeah, uh, yeah, and and, and, it's not, and and this thing can be pulled off. Well, I saw the Secret World of Arietti in theaters, and you know, you know, to be fair, you know, it's it's one of the more quieter and subdued um, Miyazaki films from Studio Ghibli, and it was based off of The Borrowers. But I remember the scene in which when uh, the characters were wandering around, sneaking out late at night to get the items that they need for the evening, and they saw the world, you know, into their perspective, which is like really tiny and like simple everyday items 
were gigantic and the kids were like in awe and in amazement because they they thought it was really creative and clever and you know and, and you know to be fair like uh you know uh, those kind of movies uh, ghibli films are very slow and quiet but they're so magical and it pulls you into the atmosphere into the scenery that people can get invested in yeah. so if they were able to get invested in that and not an abominable. That is a shame. I know. It's like it's uh, that was that was kind of sad for me because kind of like yeah, they, they, this uh, they had done so much to kind of like you know make it go so stale, like in the middle of the film. That uh, I mean, obviously with uh, also me kind of like bring it. I don't know. There was just a massive disconnect with the screen and everyone else in the theater at that point, and uh, they kind of like sort of brought it back with like you know the final third for for obvious reasons, obviously because you know it's an action packed bit. Which everyone's right. going to pay attention to, but uh, I mean, like uh, they, they, they just felt like there was times where there was just a, they, we, you just couldn't connect with it anymore. And then when we finally got to the bit where you know Everest finally got home and got to the top of Everest and things like that, and uh, which is kind of weird because like you know when they went on that scene where they were flying on those like sky koi fish. Like, you know, okay, they got all the way up there and mission accomplished and stuff like that, but how the fuck did they get down? Um, well, I guess the reason how they got down was Mr. Burnish was saying like, hey, uh, meet us down here and um, that way we can be able to take you home. But I don't, I mean, as for like how they got down in Everest itself, which which still happens to be about like, what, 38,000 feet and, and they didn't die from, um, you know, frostbite or anything like that or altitude sickness. I don't know. I, like, yeah, I, I don't understand how they, if they survived that long as well, because like, you know, that, that's like minus... God knows how cold that is, and like you know, uh, freaking yeah. And, and this is the this is the mountain that people have attempted to climb, and some of them don't survive. By the way, exactly. Yeah, but these bunch of kids, yeah, they're the ones who survive. Oh my god, like it's just it's. Uh, let's just let's just get to the ending. Yeah. So. So so basically, they get home and they um have this really nice little sweet ending with um. Uh, you know, with Yi hugging her mom and her grandmother saying that, you know, she misses them and that, you know, they're going to get together and that um, they should have a, an appreciation for one another. Yeah. And You know um, what, at that point, I was expecting them to kind of like copy what was going on inside out. Like she was going to have a, like this massive breakdown about her dad and stuff like that. And it's going to, I was expecting that. I was going to like, oh, come on, Riley did this 150% better. You know, like, I was expecting that, but uh, thankfully they didn't do it, and uh, so it kind of just ends with uh, a family dinner, uh, pretty much, yeah. and uh, so uh, with, uh, you know, um, what is it, Nai Nai, is it? That, yeah, Nai Nai. Uh, Nai Nai having the supposedly last laugh with, like, oh, I'm being serious about whatever it was, and, like, it just kind of goes up in the air and to the sky, and uh, that's about it, you know, da 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 but uh, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, just uh, so um, you know. Don't get me wrong; there are some things to like about Abominable, but I just feel like, yeah, like Patricia says, some things it just plays far too safe, and like some of the twists in this just aren't that great, really. Like uh, I would compare it to Ice Age, to be quite honest with you, about how a, you know it's very sim- it's 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 very uh, similar to a lot of Disney movies that we discussed about throughout this episode. There's up. There's Frozen, there's Zootopia, I see Princess and the Frog where you have the girl who's constantly working hard so she can accomplish a goal and saving money Mm -hmm. and doesn't have time to be with friends and family. And you have, you know, How to Train Your Dragon with, you know, you have the, the girl with the creature and... You know, there's a lot of like mishmashes of a whole bunch of Disney movies and other DreamWorks films that had came before this. And, um, you know, the fact that this came out a few months after How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, it's kind of like, oh, you know, they're done with their trilogy. There's no other um, franchises that DreamWorks is doing. What's going to be their next big film to kickstart this uh, new generation of uh, DreamWorks? And it's like, it's this. And it kind of felt like a disappointment. It's kind of like how we felt about how, you know, this, uh, about how The Good Dinosaur came out a few months after Inside Out. And we already know which one was the better movie. Yeah. So, um, in regards to scores, I mean, obviously we're not going to like, um, I, I don't we, think... We, 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 don't, 
do scores really no. for Dream Machine. We did that for Pixmix, but we did for Dream Machine. Also, we did the top five best and top five worst, and yeah, that's, that's how we true. worked it out. So but in re- it but there's, there's no point, really, because in re- like, it's not in the top five best, and it's not in the top five worst. It's If anything, it's probably going to be in the middle where you know the participation awards are. Pretty yeah, much. pretty much. Yeah, it's going to be alongside with like the the Madagascar movies and with um, you know, all the other ones that didn't even make the pot the top five best or worst. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely very middling. It's it's not as good as like Shrek Two or Prince of Egypt or the How to Train Your Dragon films or the Kung Fu Panda movies, but it's not as ungodly awful as Boss Baby or Shark Tale or Home or you know all those all. all those movies so yeah it's definitely towards the middle yeah but you know it's uh, and i know i've already kind of gone on about this but you know is this being like some kind of like representation of basically what china is like uh, at least even in cartoon form i'd have to walk on that to be honest with you like mm. uh, it's uh, it's 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 basically like uh, this could have taken place anywhere as well like you know this could have taken place in new york city or this could have taken place in uh could take place in india or it could take place in like in like uh there's nothing like massively unique to china at least in my opinion about it besides basically that it's in the location of china and these are the things that you would uh come across you know like, right uh, like, right a- like and any any it- culture could tell the story in a way yeah, sure, sure. I guess that's how we felt about the Good Dinosaur, which like it didn't need to be like prehistoric times. It could have taken place in the West. Yeah, and also, so, like, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not just saying that just because you know it's China. Like you know, Milan took place in China. Like you right. know, like you know that that was unique to China. Uh, you know, where, where, for that story. But you know, in regards to um, this story, this could be th- this could be anywhere. I mean, like you know, like uh, for for God's sake. I mean, I know this is a really bad comparison, but you know, like uh, Norm of the North didn't take place. You know, in uh, you know, in was it? In, no, it wasn't place in Canada, did it? Like you know, like it took place in uh, what you call it in uh, uh, Antarctica. In, uh, well, no, it took place. Well, where did he go? He, he went to America, didn't he? Norm yeah, I North. think he went to New York. Yeah, went to New- exactly. Well, because yeah. because that's oh, the course. place that everybody in, in movies go to, right? Yeah, pretty much. And so uh, you know, you know what? Like, uh, is there any? I know there's probably movies out there that haven't taken place in New York City, but uh, like, I mean, uh, either, it's either New York or California or Chicago or yeah. any, uh, or maybe Atlanta because Atlanta is becoming like huge in films nowadays. Yeah. So right. yeah, it's either one of those places. You know what? I want a movie to like. Uh, I'm trying to think of a place where where the, you know, it could basically be, be like. You know, how about a movie in Columbus, Ohio? You know, like, uh, or like uh, a movie in, like, I don't know, Denver. Like, you know, like, uh, can't you put your movie somewhere else? Like, I challenge the movie industry to kind of, like, you know, go to some unknown place where, you know, there's some kind of, like, you know, uh, really unique culture or something like that, you know? Like, uh, yeah, that, that would be nice to see. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, uh, this ant lives in Paris, you know, uh, Texas or something like that. I don't know. Paris, Texas. Yeah, uh, yeah, is there, is there a Paris in Texas? Yes, there is a Paris in Texas. Okay, then I was right on that. So, like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, uh, and he thinks he's actually in Paris, France. Like, you know, shenanigans and so. Yeah, but, yeah. So, yeah, that's our thoughts on Abominable. And uh, while it's not, you know, uh, you know, it's, um, well, it's not terrible, it's not great either. You know, it's like, it's yeah. Like, I guess we can say that for, like, all the movies that came out this year. Mm hmm. So I mean, it's uh, so. What have we got coming next to Dream Machine? Uh, I think. Oh uh, well, let's see. I mean, besides Trolls World Tour that's coming out next year, we also have that How to Train Your Dragon Christmas special. Yeah, so uh, maybe we might intake in, in that because uh, that's going to be a TV movie, is it? Uh, yes, it is. It is okay. So uh, we'll let you guys know if we get a chance to do it. Then uh, we'll let you guys know about it. So cool. Yeah. So out of all the movies that came out in 2019, um. I think this is the one that people are going to probably forget about because, I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not going to be anywhere as good as, like, Toy Story 4 or How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Yeah. I, I think that Frozen 2, when it comes out, I think it's going to blow Abominable right out of the water. Probably will do, yeah. Um, actually, uh, before we end, uh, there actually is one trailer that actually did come out, uh, I think that, I don't know if Patricia actually got this one or not, but, uh, are you familiar that, uh, w- former WWE wrestler John Cena is going to be appearing in, uh, Playing With Fire? Which, I uh, am, because, uh, that's also a Nickelodeon movie. Yeah. And I've been seeing the trailers and the behind-the-scenes stories of it when I was watching the, uh, miniseries of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why. I just feel like this is going to be his version of Mr. Nanny. Oh, God. Like, and we don't know how bad that turned out. Like, uh, you know, even uh, Mr. Jefferson can save that thing. Can save that thing. 
But <laughs> kabloom, kabloom, nearly hit the ceiling. But uh, yeah. <sighs> anyway, but uh, uh, anyway, we'll promise you we're not going to cover that movie. We are going to cover Trolls World Tour, and we are going to have a look at uh, How He Joined the Dragon, the uh, the holiday season special. So. Yep. But until those times come, uh, my name is Aaron. And my name is Patricia. And uh, take care, and we wish you well for the rest of the year. See you later, guys.